Okay, hey, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you today that you are here with us. Thank you for the work that you've done in the lives of each of us this week. God, whether that be uh, what you taught us through your word, how your spirit ministered to our hearts as we lifted our voices to worship. God, and probably where the real deep heart work was done was in those conversations, in the cabins, over meals, taking a walk. Lord, because everywhere we go, your spirit is at work. You never stop pressing on our hearts to turn us to you, to turn our hearts towards your glory, your purposes. And God, you care about each person in this room. You care about what they've been through. You care about the things on their minds, even right now, tugging at them. You care about where they're going in this life and for all eternity. And we thank you that in your word you promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, again, I just want to thank you for being here with me this week. And, uh, you know, just as I've been able to connect with some of you at meals or out at some of the events, uh, just, your, you know, just the friendliness, the warmth that I feel I've experienced in conversations and kind of just, you know, sometimes just plopping down and sitting with you at a meal and just being like, okay with that, man. I've just really appreciated all of that this week. And uh, today I'm excited to talk to you about the truth for the life of the believer. So this week we've talked about the truth of God. We've talked about the truth of his word. We've talked about the truth of who Jesus is, his life and works, his uh, life and death, his resurrection. We've talked about the truth of sin. And today we talk about truth for the life of the believer. And I'm just going to take this thing off here if I can. Um, You know, my uh, son, Noah, when he was in eighth grade, he was... He was uh, wrestling, and I remember I went to uh, one of his wrestling matches. I was able to get off work early, and uh, whoops, there we go. Sorry, I'm kind of distracting you here this morning. Um, but I was able to get off work early one day to go to his wrestling match, eighth grade. It's a school I'd never been to before, and so on the way, GPS kind of took me on this little wild goose chase, and I ended up at the wrong place. And uh, kind of felt like I feel it right now with the microphone going crazy. But I, uh, I, I finally got to the school. I figured out where it was. And when I got into the room, the wrestling match that he was in had already started. He was like in the middle. It was like the first round. It had already started. And so I just jumped in there. I started yelling like, come on, Noah, you can do it. You know, I'm kind of yelling, cheering with everybody. And this wrestling match is going back and forth and back and forth like a seesaw. Nobody's really winning. Then all of a sudden in the third round, he gets this like really angry look on his face and he just grabs the guy and he just twists him up and he pins him. And when the wrestling match was over, the other guy he was wrestling was just laying there like, oh, and you know, part of me's like, oh man, I hope that kid's okay. The other part of me's kind of like, yeah, that's my boy right there, you know. Um, but when it was over, I, I was talking to Noah and I said, hey, what, uh, like what happened? You know, that wrestling match was just going back and forth and then all of a sudden, you just look like you had this surge of energy and you just pinned the guy. And he said, he said, dad, he goes, that guy stunk so bad. He's like, I mean, his breath stank. His armpits were, they smelled so bad. He goes, I got so mad. I just had to end it. I couldn't take it anymore. 
I thought, okay, you know, that's one way to get motivated, right? Just wrestle somebody that stinks. But, but then he said this. He said, Dad, um, when the wrestling match started, I didn't see you, so I didn't know if you were there. But then I heard your voice, and I knew you were there. And the reason I share that with you this morning, friends, is because if there's one key thought I would love for you to leave with here today, it is simply that, that you are not alone. You are not alone in this life. Jesus says in John 15, verses 4 through 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, for any uh, believer here, if you put your faith in Christ, maybe last night for the first time or a recommitment last night, or maybe you've been walking with Christ for 50 years or somewhere in between, um, what matters probably more than just about anything else is that we abide in Christ. That each and every day we get up and we ask ourselves, what can I do today to connect with God? What can I do today to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ? And that we, we start the day with prayer, seeking to connect to God, that throughout the day we are inviting God. He's, he's with us through his spirit. We're inviting him to do life with us. We're bringing him into everything that's a part of our lives as we lay our heads down to sleep. We're connecting and communicating with our God. We abide in Christ. There's probably nothing more important than that. Uh, you know, as uh, one of our sons, Sam, I, I mentioned him earlier that he's on the cross-country track team at Fresno State. And one thing about that kid, I'll tell you, is from a very young age, he was so focused and disciplined. I mean, we're in third grade. I'm cooking breakfast burritos, you know, frying up the bacon, the sausage. And he's like, hey, Dad, all I want is the eggs. And can I have, like, just the egg whites? I mean, in third grade, right? Uh, growing up, you know, I'm barbecuing burgers, hot dogs. He's like, can you throw on chicken for me? And then I'm seeing him make sure he gets his rest. He's not watching TV as much. He's not getting sucked up into the video games as much. He's getting to bed. He's getting his rest. He's getting up early, and he's training, even before he goes to school to do his practices. And he told me in high school, my goal is I want to run uh, at a university. And he's running Division I, Fresno State, because of the training, because of the focus, getting the, the physical therapy and the trainers when he got injuries and all these different things. And there's a training that takes place if you want to live that sort of collegiate athlete life. But you know, for we who follow Christ, there's also a training that goes into our walk with God. It is a relationship, but it takes an intentionality. Transformation in Christ doesn't just happen because we prayed a prayer one day. It doesn't just happen because we show up and maybe sit in a seat at church. That's important. Both of those things are important, but it tra transformation takes place as we actively join the work of the Spirit in what he's trying to do in our lives. And there's three primary means of grace that God has provided for us that we must lean into to stay well connected to him. Three things, very simple, his word, his spirit, and his people. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. These are the three primary means of grace that God has given to us. Let's talk about these for just a minute. Number one, God's word 
In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays this for us in the garden of Gethsemane before he's uh, betrayed. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And we have talked about the truth of God's word this week, how he has specifically revealed himself through his word and that his word is supernatural and that his word has the power to transform lives. Jesus says he wants to sanctify us through his word. And sanctify, it's a very simple word. It simply means to set apart. So what does it mean to be set apart for God? I mean, does that mean um, we go live in a commune somewhere away from everybody else? Does it mean we reject sort of technology like the Amish? Or do we, you know, dress like it was the 1950s? Do we only wear Christian t-shirts? I don't think it means any of those things. To be set apart, to be sanctified for Christ means that over time we grow to become more and more like Christ in our character, in our attitudes, and in our actions. That there is a change that takes place as we walk with Christ. Romans 8.29 tells us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So how important is it that we consistently feed on the word of God? Like, does it really make a difference? Some of you might be asking right now. Like, what, what's the point? Do I really need to get up a little earlier to read the Bible or what, whatever it works for you? It could be at night, middle of the day, whatever. But do I really need to take that time? You know, when I could be scrolling like Instagram instead or playing a video game, should I really take the time to read the Bible? Um, and I would say, yes, it does have the power to change your life because it's supernatural. There's a place called the Center for Biblical Engagement. They did an extensive study on what difference does it make if people read their Bible. And they found that if you only read the Bible one day a week, and maybe that's like if you go to church and you hear somebody teaching the Bible and that's like it, or one day you read the Bible, it really didn't make much of a difference in your life. Two days a week, it didn't make much of a difference. Three days a week, they started to see a little bit of change but a radical change started to take place at four days a week. So at least more than half the days of a week, seven days, four days, more than half, if you just listened even to the Bible or read the Bible, here's what they found. And they factored in all the control factors to make sure it was really just focused on Bible reading. They found that those who read the Bible or listened to the Bible at least four days a week had lower odds of participating in these following behaviors, getting drunk, 57% lower odds. Sex outside of marriage, 68% lower odds. Watching pornography, 61% lower odds. Gambling, 74% lower odds. And then the chance that they wouldn't participate in any of these habits, 57% lower odds. It's pretty significant. They also found on the positive side that those who read the Bible or listened to the Bible at least four days a week had a tendency to actually live out the calling of Christ to do the things he's called us to do, like evangelism and discipleship. How much more likely were they to share their faith with others? 228% higher odds. Discipling others, 232% higher odds. Memorizing scripture, 407% higher odds. And that one really makes sense because if you're not reading the Bible, you can't really memorize it, right? But what is the point? The point is hold fast to the word of God. Feed on the word of God because in the word of God is the power to change your life because it's supernatural. It's the only book we have that is supernaturally inspired by God. And I would say it's best to have some type of a plan. Like 
You know, most good things don't happen if we just sort of have a haphazardness about it. Like, well, hopefully it'll happen if I have time or, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Those kind of things tend to get crowded out either by busyness or distraction or just simply we don't want to do it when the time comes. But if we have a plan that we can work, anything we want to achieve in life, we usually have a plan for it, right? So if we have a plan, like, well, I'm going to get a Bible reading plan. You can get a Bible reading plan online. You can get it from your school, from your church. You can uh, use the Bible app, right? There's all kinds of of apps out there. Um, And the best thing, too, is to grab a friend or two or a small group and say, hey, let's do it together or hold me accountable. This is some things I'm trying to, to read for that encouragement, that accountability, be able to share together what you're learning uh, from God's word. So God's word. Um, he's also given us his spirit. After Jesus rose from the dead in John 20, verse 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And so this may raise the question then, who? Not what, but who is the Holy Spirit. Well, in John 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God dwelling in us. And this is what does make a huge difference in terms of our hunger for the things of God. See, again, if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in us, the things of God are just sort of foolishness. But if the Holy Spirit lives within us, he creates that hunger to read his word and have fellowship with him. It's his very presence, the very presence of God dwelling in the heart of the believer, also making us realize that his power is available to us at all times. In verses 25 through 26 of John 14, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So when Jesus says he bears his name, he's saying in the same way that he bears the name of the Father, the Spirit bears the name of Jesus, that God has always existed eternally as three. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. He is a member of the eternal pre-existing Trinity. And that word helper, in the Greek, it's parakletos. It can be translated as counselor, comforter, helper, intercessor. It literally means the one called to come alongside of. And so the picture Jesus wants us to have of his spirit who lives within us as he has been called to be on our side to help us, to empower us, to lead us, to guide us, to bring to mind the things of God He is there to to lead us into places where we could say, I never could have done that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Chuck Smith says this in his book, Living Water, the Holy Spirit is God himself, a person with whom you can enjoy a personal relationship. He is not merely an impersonal force or power or essence within the universe, but he is rather a person who can speak to you and to whom you can speak. He is a person who can guide you, who can help you, who can strengthen you, who can teach you, the truth of God. And Jesus actually said in John 16, 7, it's better that he goes away so that the spirit can come because when Jesus is here in a physical body, his his presence is limited to wherever he goes geographically. But if he goes and he pours out his spirit, he is now present with us wherever we go. So here we are on the other side of the world from Israel and the Lord can be present with you in your heart and he'll go with you when you leave this camp, wherever you are at, his spirit goes 
with you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 actually says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And I'll be honest. I mean, there's definitely a mystery to this. Like, how is it that God lives within me? But it's just the same as the mystery of how is it that our heart even beats? How is it that we even have life? Where does that come from? It comes from God. And he says, I choose to give of you my spirit to live within you. And even though we can't see the Holy Spirit, we can certainly see the effects of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Jesus put it this way in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but, do, uh, do you, not, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just in the same way we can feel the effects of the wind. We can see the effects of the wind, but we can't actually say this is what the wind looks like. So it is with the Holy Spirit. We can feel him empowering us. We can see his effects, but we can't always see exactly him, right? And so just like with God's word, a primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Christ. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the character traits that God wants us to grow in to become more and more like Christ. And if you have put faith in Christ, if you have embraced the gospel, then a key part of the good news is that God lives within you. And in anything that he's called you to do, he says, I'm going to be right there alongside of you. As I change your life, I will be right there with you doing that work as we join him in that. So we can talk to God every day and we can anticipate that his spirit's at work. You know, I'll give you a simple example. Just a couple weeks ago, I was going to get uh, my haircut. And I prayed before I got my haircut. One of my sons was like, you prayed about your haircut? Like you wanted to grow more hair or something? Like, no, I didn't pray for that. (laughs) But what I prayed was, okay, Lord, I'm going to get my haircut. The the lady who cuts my hair, she's not a Christian. So, you know, if you want something to happen, whatever. And then as I prayed, this thought came to my mind. She's going to be prepared to talk about baptism. And don't just say, like, well, baptism is when you get in the water, but, but explain the gospel. Like, explain the gospel and then explain that when you've embraced the gospel, you then get baptized to declare your faith. Like the way you wear a wedding ring if you're married. And I was like, okay. And I actually almost thought about, we have these well baptism t-shirts. I thought about putting my baptism t-shirt on, but I was already wearing, like, my Journey Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shirt. I was like, I'm going to keep this one on. And uh, if she's going to ask about baptism, I don't need a shirt to, like, hook her in. I'll just, whatever. So I kind of go. I kind of forget about it a little bit. But then as I'm sitting to get my haircut, sure enough, about five minutes into the haircut, <clears throat> she asked me, so does your church do baptisms? And I said, yes. And she said, well, what does it require? Like, what's the requirements if a person wants to get baptized? I'm like, okay, here we go. Share the gospel, explain baptism. And my point is this. I'm not saying that that type of thing happens all the time or every day or anything like that, but I am going to say this, that if we would talk to God as if he's actually there, if we would open our hearts to pursue him, if we would take some time just to listen, we would find that there are far more divine promptings, far more providential moments, far more doors opening to talk about the things of God and to to work in people's lives than we might imagine if we actually take the time to pursue him because God's spirit is always at work. You know, in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You know, when I hear that, I think of 
Captain America with, with Bucky and the Winter Soldier, right? After that movie where he's like, I'm with you to the end of the line, right? The Lord is saying, I'm with you to the end of the line and much more than that. I live within you. I transform your life. Well, then thirdly, we have God's people. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's, you know, the word love in English gets overused and we kind of sometimes don't realize the depth of of the different types of love. Because I could say in the same sentence, I love to eat uh, steak and I love my wife. And hopefully I wouldn't put the same kind of love for my wife as I would for steak, right? There's a difference there, but we use the same word. But see, in Greek, they have four words. They got eros, which is like romantic love. They have storge, which is family love. Phileo, which is friendship kind of love. And then agape, which is God's love. It's a love that is completely sacrificial. It's a love that gives without expecting in return. And this is the word that is used here. This is the way God loves you and I. This is the way he asks us to love each other. And as we enter into relationship with God, we also then enter into a relationship with his people. We're part of a body of Christ. The New Testament doesn't even envision kind of that individual Christian who's just staying at home watching church online. Now, I'm not, I respect anyone who, for health reasons, needs to do that, or some days we're traveling, whatever, as, as a convenience. But the, the normal practice for God's people is that we are together. We are in relationship. We are not isolated from each other. Just like a body cannot be isolated. I can't cut my finger off and expect that it'll continue to live and thrive. It's going to die on its own. So God sees us together. In the New Testament, there's this phrase, one another, that's used like 60 times. And it says things like, pray for one another and serve one another in love and bear one another's burdens and, and encourage one another. And we can't do that if we're not in relationship. Yes, we can utilize all the technology to connect with each other. And I text people and things like that all the time. But there's also the power to the face-to-face, like you've done this week, right? Have you not experienced that as you spent time together. I heard so many people talking about that even last night at the Victory Circle. It's vital for us. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And you know, from the get-go of following Christ when I was 19 years old, I've been in some type of small group with either men or married couples. Just like if there might be a gap of a month or two here and there throughout different times in my life, but, but I've always been in that group because I can't imagine living this Christian life without my people. Like, how am I going to do this? And I ask you the same question. When you face temptation, who will pray for you? When, uh, when you're struggling or you're discouraged, who, who in your life is pointing you to Christ? When you want to serve, who can you lock arms with and serve Christ with together? Who can you study your Bible with? We need fellow believers who will strengthen us in the Lord. It's vital. And why is it vital? Two, two reasons here, and then we'll be done. Number one is you're going to face hardship, trials, and sometimes even hate and backlash as you follow Christ. And if we try to go in it alone, it's not going to go well. We need God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. You know, I remember I told you guys about my shoulder injuries. The first time, I, I, I've actually had two surgeries on this left shoulder. First time was uh, back in 2000, 2001. And it was because we were playing this, uh, when I started out as a college pastor, we played this no pads, tackle, football against uh, this other church college group. 
And I ended up being on the line somehow. I only weighed about 180 pounds. And I was next to this other guy who weighed 190 pounds. And we had standing across from us a guy who weighed about 320 pounds. <laughs> and on one play, he smashed into my shoulder and I could hear something go, ooh. And, uh, but I just ignored it. I didn't think anything of it and played the whole game. Anyways, there's a whole other story there. But, but the point is, if we try to face this Christian life without God's word, without uh, leaning into God's spirit who lives within us, without God's people, we're going to be just like my shoulder was in that moment. No pads, no protection, just bam, it's going to hurt. And there's going to be opposition. We've talked about these sources of opposition already this week. We have, uh, we have just the world, right? The systems of the world that oppose God and sometimes, you know, uh, vacillate in how hostile they are. But, but there's the world. There's our flesh, that part of us that wants to do our own thing, those disordered desires. And then there's the devil, that fallen angel, the invisible organized evil that literally is at work in the world, all opposing us. And so we have to expect opposition. They will come at us. I want to say for those of you, if you, if you made a commitment today, or the, sorry, last, last night or this week uh, to follow Christ, whether that was a first-time decision or a recommitment of some type, you need to expect real opposition. You know, when I embraced the gospel at 19, Two crazy things happened the first, like, month that I started to try to follow Christ. First, I worked at this restaurant. There was a girl there who I'd been talking to and connecting with, and I really wanted to ask her out. I just haven't worked up the courage. That was all before I came to Christ. She wasn't a Christian. You know, she was somebody that I partied with. And then, wouldn't you know it, like, the week after I come to Christ, she calls me at midnight and says, hey, we should go get drinks. <laughs> Temptation knocking right at my door. And then I had ordered this fake ID because I wanted to go to clubs at age 19. And I'd forgotten about it because they were taking so long to do it. And guess what? Within a couple of weeks after coming to Faith in Christ, a lady at my work comes and says, hey, your ID's ready. We got it for you. Temptation coming right at me. And I was so weak at that time. But you know what? I had friends in my life. I had God's word. I had God's spirit. I had God's people. So I was like, keep the ID. I don't want it. I never called the girl back. I was kind of cold, but <laughs> I was too weak. If I had called her, I would have I done something that I would later regret. Later on, I did invite her to church, so, you know, that kind of thing. But here's my point, friends, is that you are going to face opposition. If you've just come to faith in Christ, expect it. But guess what? If you've been walking with Christ for a long time, expect it. It's going to come at you where you're weak, where you're most vulnerable. And so we need to be in God's word. We need to be walking in the spirit, and we need God's people in John 16, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And you know, the tribulations Jesus talks about, they come in many forms. They can come in just general discouragement or depression. They can come in, uh, you know, temptations. They can come in crises that break out in your life that you're not even ready for. But in all of it, um, as we face those things, the, the truth is everybody in life faces those things, not just because you're a Christian. And the question is, are we going to do it with or without God, by ourselves or with him and his means of grace? You know, our youngest son, Gabe, uh, I, I shared with you guys about him that he's had some mental health struggles. He's been diagnosed with severe OCD, and it's, it's hindered some of his life. And there were different times in his life where he just felt like giving up honestly, like just, I just want to give up. And maybe some of you feel that way or have felt that way. But you know, the key in his life, what we just kept trying to encourage him towards is 
Gabe, you know, don't turn to those things that will numb you and give you that temporary relief because you're going to be worse once that wears off. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. And it's so beautiful to see the difference God has made in his life when he has turned to Christ and he has leaned into God's people. I just want to give you that hope today as well that whatever your struggle is, the Lord is there. His people are there. His word is there. His spirit is there. Now, as followers of Christ, there, are some, there is some unique opposition we will face because we follow Christ. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So when Jesus said this, as he's speaking to his disciples, you know, of those original 12 disciples, all of them were martyred. They were killed for the faith, except for John, who wrote this epistle. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't, so he was exiled on the island of Patmos. But this was real talk Jesus was giving them. And we shouldn't expect it should be completely different for us today. Now, we've got a lot of freedom in this nation. We can live out our faith. We can be here this week without any fears. You know, a couple weeks ago at the, at the church, I, I met a missionary couple who had been in China for nine years, and they said to me, they, they looked around, they saw firemen in their uniforms. It was on 9-11, all this stuff. And they go, this is amazing that you're here worshiping and you have like law enforcement and, and official people protecting you, like wanting to be here to help you. Because when we would gather to worship, we were fearful that they would come and raid us and break things up. And so there's real persecution in this world that is taking place. But even here, friends, in America, we need to expect that there is hostility and opposition. We are the minority in this nation and increasingly, there is a hostility toward the values of Christ followers. And so persecution will come. And how can we withstand it? We certainly can't withstand it alone. But if we lock arms, if we're in this together as God's people, we can do this. Um, Jesus sends us into this fray with the promise that he will always be with us. And my encouragement to you is that as you go home, God is with you. This week, for many of us, we've been more focused on God. We've been thinking about God more, but he's omnipresent. And he's no more real when you go back to your classroom or somewhere that you work or to your home or your neighborhood or a team you're on or whatever you do. He's no less real there than he is here. You've just been more focused on him here than you are there. And my encouragement is continue to focus on the Lord, continue to abide in Christ, because God not only wants to sustain us through trials and opposition, but he wants to use you and I as his main vehicle for getting his gospel message to this lost and dying world. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we've been commissioned by Jesus to be his light in this world, and he promises to go with us wherever we go. Uh, we look around, we might see people 
who are difficult to love, but Christ can give us the power to love. And not only is God with you, but you look around this room and recognize that this whole community is also with you. You don't do this on your own. You do this together. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So friends, I just want to challenge you to always be ready to share the reason you have hope in Christ. Be able to share your story. Like how did you come to know Jesus in your life? How has Jesus and how is Jesus working in your life? It's your story. It's probably one of the most powerful tools that God has given you to be a light for him in this world is that you're ready to share your reason for hope because your story is something nobody can ever take away from you. They can bring up, well, what about this about God? And what about this about these things, whether it's the Bible or suffering or whatever, but they can never take away from you your story of how God has been and is at work in your life. And it's not just how you came to know Christ, it's how God continues to work in your life. Like if I told you about my wife, Chris and I, and I told you all the exciting things that happened up until about 1995 when we got married, and then I stopped there, you'd be like, well, what happened with the rest of your marriage? Isn't there more to happen? And it's the same thing with us. Like, whatever happened before Christ, that's great. But what is God doing in your life today as you abide in him? There should be fresh stories, fresh beacons of hope, fresh things to talk about your vibrant relationship with God as you walk with him. And it's not our job to turn people's hearts We just proclaim the truth. We live the truth. And as Jesus said, as we love one another, the world will know that we're his disciples. We live that truth out. And we love this broken world. And friends, as we think about all this, remember this. This is not a performance. God's word tells us that he knew us before we were born. Ephesians 1 says you were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. In love, he predestined you. And Ephesians 2 says you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God prepared beforehand. So we're just living out our identity. We're just living out our calling. We're not doing things to earn that identity or to earn that calling. We're just being who we actually are. There's a fake self that wants to be like the world. And then there's the real self that wants to be like Christ, if you're in Christ. And it's kind of like this. I I heard a story years ago. There was a man named David Busby who um, ministered in my life in some real tremendous ways. And he 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 had been a youth pastor and a speaker and all these different things. But he, he was born with a number of medical conditions, cystic fibrosis, polio, um, meningitis, all these different things that caused him to be very, uh, you know, just filled with disabilities and challenges. And the doctor said, you're not going to live past the age of 21. He ended up living to be almost 50. But as he grew up, he had a brother who was an incredible athlete. So it's like the opposite. So here's David, you know, with all these ailments. And here's his brother, this like, you know, letterman athlete, football, basketball, everything, right? And so they would do these games in the neighborhood, right? Pickup games. You guys ever do that? And pick up games in the neighborhood where it's like, hey, we're going to go play some football or some basketball. And you pick teams. Remember doing that like in playgrounds? Um, and there's two captains. Captain one, captain two, usually the two best athletes out there. And then they, everybody lines up and they pick. 
You know, I pick John, I pick, you know, Frank, I pick Sarah, whatever, right? And they pick people on their team. And they usually start with the best athletes and work their way down. And, you know, if you were like me growing up, you're just kind of like, I just don't want to get picked last. <laughs> you know, somewhere in the middle is fine. But David knew whenever he went out to play, he was always chosen last. Like nobody wanted him on their team because he couldn't contribute anything meaningful. So one day he goes out and his brother happened to be joining the neighborhood game this particular day. And of course, his brother, being the, you know, stallion that he was, he's chosen as the first captain. So all the guys line up. His brother looks around at his choices. David's not even paying attention because he knows I'm going last, so, you know, I'll just tune out for a little bit. His brother locks eyes with him, and he says, David, I choose you as my first pick to be on my team. Friends, that's the same way that God has chosen you and I. Not because we're so great or we're so smart or we're so good looking, nothing like that. It's just because I love you, I choose you. And so we then can go and play our hearts out for him in this world because we have an identity and a security in Christ. What I wanna do right now is I wanna pray for you. And here's what I wanna ask. If you're here today and you say, whether you've been walking with God for a day or two or for decades or somewhere in between, if it's your desire to live for God's glory, if it's your desire to become more and more like Christ and to stand through hardships and to make Christ known, I'm just gonna ask if you would stand and I just wanna pray over you. Who wants to live for Christ? If you wanna live for Christ, I'm asking that you would stand to your feet. Amen. Amen. And I just want to pray this over you. This is your theme verse, I believe, for your school year. Receive this, God's word, praying over you as you live your lives this year. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for each person who is standing to their feet. And I pray that by your grace and your power and your will, they live by the power of your spirit and they be agents and vessels and fill themselves with hope in Jesus' name.